<clears throat> As a church family, we're working through the Psalms this year, going one Psalm a week, and we will be going to Psalm 35, but I'll deviate just a bit and ask you first to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 15. And what we're going to read uh, from a few verses from the Gospel of John chapter 15 are what transpired right before that betrayal took place. Jesus told his disciples in his last meal that he was going to be betrayed that night. We've just commemorated that in the celebration of communion. And after he shared that, he then went on an extended uh, sort of teaching opportunity with his disciples, knowing that he had an opportunity to share some final words with them before he would go on the cross. And in what he shared, on his mind on that night, Psalm 35, which we will read from, was clearly part of what was on his mind because he quotes from Psalm 35, and I'll highlight that when we get to it. But we'll pick up uh, Jesus' words at verse 12. So John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all that I heard from my father I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. And these things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they'd not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They, according to Psalm 35, hated me, Without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So these are just a few of Jesus' final words, but as we've seen all along in going through the Psalms, Jesus was raised on these Psalms. He had them uh, memorized, not just from his perspective of, of being God who uh, inspired the original uh, writings of the scriptures thousands of years before, but having been raised in a Jewish home and gone to synagogue regularly and committed to the regular discipline of hearing and reciting and repeating the scriptures, to hide them in his own heart so that in moments like this, some of the most precious moments with his disciples, uh, much of what comes out is 
what was poured in via the Psalms. So I invite you now to turn to Psalm 35 as we read it together. And you'll see as we read it that this is a psalm where uh, the psalmist feels betrayed and is crying out in the pain of that sense of betrayal. Psalm 35, it says, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuer. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it and let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. And then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my mother, my friend, or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I do not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those who rejoice over me, who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those who wink the eye, who hate me without cause, For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land. They devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord. Be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. And let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. And let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. And let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness, of your praise all the day long. And that concludes Psalm 35. 
the, the authenticity of these psalms come through as we not only get sort of the ideas or the words that are shared, but often the emotions that are being experienced as we read them. And so one of the challenges is as we read them, where we are emotionally might not be the exact place that the psalmist is. And sometimes we might be down and discouraged and struggling, and it's entirely a psalm of praise and thanksgiving and gratefulness. And at other times, we're in a season of, of joy and gratitude, and we come to a psalm like this, and it, it feels distant, not just in terms of years uh, separating us, but even in the emotional experience of the psalmist. And so it's a bit of our work each time uh, to first identify what is the psalmist going through. And even if we aren't going through it right now, as it testifies honestly about life, there are moments where we all go through these kinds of uh, experiences. And it's helpful to find that other people have gone through them as well. Uh, but we, we might encounter the same thing in very different ways. Uh, last week after church, our family went to an air show in Akron. Uh, we were given tickets by one of our neighbors who oversaw the Props and Pistons uh, air show festival in Akron last week. And so we went after church. The weather was great. And we'd never taken our kids to an air show. But it was... Uh, they weren't all equally excited before going because they didn't know necessarily what to expect uh, in terms of going there. But as we got there and saw various planes line up and go down a runway and then do synchronized moves, uh, clearly that they were all communicating with one another and putting on a show and then lining up to take off together and then flying in formation in groups of four over us, eventually they were just in awe of what was being done. And, and part of our sense of enjoyment and delight in it is that we were getting to observe it all, uh, knowing that though all of these, uh, at that time, uh, everything that we were watching were machines built for the battlefield, we were not presently in a battle, right? So we could sit there and just say, oh, that's so cool, that sounds so loud, and look at how they turn, and had to recognize this would be a very different feeling if we saw the formation turn back toward us and we thought those were enemies of ours, or if we thought of ourselves in conflict. And so our ability uh, to enjoy it and take it all in and just be impressed was very much because we were observing it all from a position of safety and not a position of vulnerability. And here we're getting David speaking from the feeling of vulnerability. He says he's poor and needy, and the people that are coming after him are stronger than he is. And he, he just acknowledges that. So he, he feels like he's in a battle, and so he's expressing the desperation of being in conflict and also sensing that uh, if there is equipment available, it's actually all in the favor of his enemies, and that he himself does not have the ability to fight back sufficiently. And so this, this psalm reveals the, the bitterness of betrayal the bitterness of betrayal. And it reveals to us, as the Psalms have done all along, that we are created as mind, body, and soul. And that things that happen to us physically affect us emotionally and spiritually. And there is a deeper level of hurt, a deeper bitterness, when we find ourselves in conflict with people that otherwise we thought we were supposed to be in fellowship with that we were supposed to rely upon and trust in. And, and that comes out towards the, the middle to the end of the psalm. 
David says, the very people who are seeing me now vulnerable and are starting to celebrate and are kind of thinking of how they can take advantage of this situation, that while he's beaten down, that they might be able to take even more from him. He says to rob him. Part of what hurts so deeply is that these are people that David looks at and says, I've cared for them. I've actually prayed for them. That's what he's uh, referring to in verse 13 and on. He says, but I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I fasted for them. I had my head bowed down in my chest. I grieved as if I was grieving for my own friend or brother. And so these aren't strangers to David. These are people that he looks at and says, when you were vulnerable... And when you were in need, I tried to enter into that. I, I grieved that with you. I prayed. I, I fasted, withheld food to enter into a bit of that suffering, to come alongside you in your need. And now when I'm the one in need, not only are you not helping me, but you seem to be adding to the pain and the conflict. And so even if you're not going through that right now, and hopefully most of us aren't, it, it shouldn't take too much of a leap of your imagination to say, how would you feel if that's what you were experiencing? That people with whom you were close with, people whom you invested your life uh, in, people that, who you wept over and cried over to help them come to a place of healing and a place of restoration and a place of safety and security, we're now rejoicing over your demise. That that's what David is going through. He feels betrayed and there's a bitterness that's not just physical but it has an emotional depth to it because we are made as emotional and spiritual beings and things that happen in one area affect all of the others and so he is discouraged he is crying out and we see that bitterness reflected in this but we also see how David handles that vulnerability and that bitterness, in that this psalm is filled with a sense of what is the hope for the poor and the needy? And so the way the psalm opens by him crying out to contend, O Lord, for those who contend with me, to fight against those who fight against me, is David's acknowledgement that he isn't strong enough for this battle on his own. And he needs God to fight this battle for him. So him asking God to step in and intervene is not him asking God to do evil towards them or to do what's wrong against them. He's asking God, who is holy, who only does what's right, whose anger never gets out of control like ours can, that if God intervenes and God does the fighting and God does the defending, then God is going to do it in the right way not just with more capacity than David himself, but also with more maturity. And not out of desperation in his vulnerability, but out of the steadfastness of his character. And so David is able to acknowledge and admit he feels poor and needy. He needs God to help him and intervene. And you might not feel that way right now, but it is amazing how quickly we can start to feel that sense of vulnerability, that we are poor and needy. Um, just a few weeks ago, I had a meeting up in Little Italy in Cleveland, 
and um, my gas uh, light came on as I was driving up to it, and I didn't want to be late to the meeting, and so I was like, I'll just get gas after the meeting. So I had the meeting, and the meeting went a little bit longer than I thought, and it was really, really good, but then I started driving uh, to get back onto the freeway, and I was not too far away from the Cleveland Clinic main campus. And for those of you who have been there, you don't have to get too far away from the Cleveland Clinic main campus to feel a little bit more of a sense of your own vulnerability and not the strongest sense of security. But then I remembered, oh no, my gas light's on. And I can't remember now how long it's been on. And so I just need to pull off at the first gas station and get gas. And so I pull off at the first gas station. And as soon as I pulled off, I was like, I don't, I don't think I should have pulled off here. Okay, how do I, I don't need a full tank. I can just, you know, 20 bucks, get on my way. And then the credit card machine wasn't working. I was like, bummer, the machine's not working, so I have to start... In my mind, I'm thinking, well, I can just drive to the next place, but I don't know where the next place is. And again, I don't know how much gas I have, so I'm like, I'll just walk in. And so I start walking into the building, and I can see somebody standing right by the door, and it's a sunny morning. And I see this reflection off of metal uh, that the person is holding as I'm walking in. And I'm like, oh, no. I am walking closer to this person, so I need to know what that uh, shiny metal thing is in his hand. And I quickly can ascertain that it's a knife and not a gun. And I'm like, okay, it's just a knife, but just a knife. Like what? Um, so it's amazing how quickly thoughts go through your head. And I'm walking toward the door thinking, okay, don't act nervous. Don't make the situation worse. But also, like, stay light on your feet. If you have to move, be prepared to move as you go through the door. Um, and so it's amazing how quickly you feel that sense of vulnerability. And so it's, if I move, how do I move? Uh, if there's a lunge, how do I make sure the knife's gone, the hand doesn't work, whatever I have to do in that situation, but also stay calm, don't look nervous, just walk in. And I just walked in, and he apologized, said, oh, I'm so sorry, because he could see that I was looking right at his knife. I'm so sorry, sir, I'm so sorry. And he put his knife in his pocket, and then he followed in behind me into the gas station, and now I don't have a line of sight on him <laughs> as I'm trying to pay for the money, uh, pay for the gas. And he just continued to apologize, and I moved on. Uh, and thankfully, nothing happened. And I waited maybe a week or two to tell Amy that story. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, one of those situations where I also recognized where I felt uncomfortable for what was all of maybe three minutes of an encounter. People live there. That, that's where plenty of kids walk neighborhoods, they go to school, uh, they try to figure out how to go to a playground and play just like my kids do uh, and all those kinds of things that there are so many people who feel desperately poor and needy and they cannot themselves defend themselves and they need hope beyond themselves if they're going to come to a place of safety and security. And so if me as an adult can so quickly feel a sense of, I can't believe I'm here, or what potential risks are involved. We have to recognize that if, if those experiences for us are very, very infrequent, that we are extraordinarily blessed. And it's a sad reality in our world, not just globally in the world, in other places, but in many places, uh, not very far from us, that people feel a profound sense of insecurity. And you can't come to them and say, well, 
don't, you shouldn't feel needy or you shouldn't feel vulnerable. No, no, no. If you are, you are. <laughs> uh, and the scriptures speak truthfully to the sense of desperation that comes to people in that environment and that when they cry out, Lord, would you contend with those who contend against me? God, would you, again, not do what is wrong, but would you just do what is right? Would you do what is just in guarding those who can't protect themselves, in thwarting the plans of those uh, who mean to cause profound harm? Uh, there's only just initial news coming out from Jacksonville, uh, Florida, from yesterday, but there was a shooting situation where uh, the initial indication is the person actually tried to go to a college campus and had a much larger target in mind, but college security turned him away, and so then he ended up going to a Dollar General. And still, sadly, three or four innocent people lost their lives, but in hearing, again, of the situation of, I, I think the person actually intended a lot more harm than that, that there is a way that we can pray and say, God, thank you for thwarting plans. Please thwart more plans when those kinds of plans are in people's minds. As David prayed that, as this was a psalm that Jesus was raised in to know and understand, that as long as, as Jesus said, the poor will always be with us and the needy, these kinds of cries will be repeated again and again by many at times by us. And there's nothing wrong with bringing those cries out to God and asking him to do what only he can do. And again, actually, the wisdom of crying out to God and asking him to be our defender because he'll do it better than we will. And then the uniqueness for us of the gospel story that Jesus, who never had to feel this way, willingly chose to become vulnerable for you and for me that he experienced betrayal from those who were closest to him, those who he had served and loved, those who he told to love one another, that he was so unloved by them, and eventually to the point of being putting on a cross for you and for me. And even though he did that, still in this psalm, Jesus enters into the spirit of it by ultimately praying, God, whatever evil does happen or is allowed to happen, don't let it have the final say. Don't let it ultimately be victorious. Let you vindicate what is right and good. Let justice ultimately prevail. And that happened in Jesus. And already here in the psalm, David is crying out and acknowledging that there is going to be a joy of deliverance. That just like there's this emotional depth of pain in this insecurity, David is saying, when you do deliver me, I'm going to stand before the great congregation and they're going to know how thankful I am when you do what only you can do. And as Christians, we believe that that ultimately happened for our Savior. He was not left in the grave, but he was vindicated. And his joy in being delivered from the worst of evil in this world is what gives us continued hope and encouragement to say he's watching over us. When we pray to him in our vulnerability, we're not praying to someone who can't empathize with our feelings and with our thoughts. We can bring them before him and we can trust that whatever happens in this life to us is not the final arbiter or decider, but that he actually 
can bring new life from the grave. He can bring eternal life and offer it as a gift to all of us who will one day die. And so why would you or I want to put our hope in anyone else but in him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's honest about the pain and the bitterness that we can experience when people who we love and are close to at times are the ones that can hurt us the most. And we know we can do that to other people, that we can cause harm and hurt and pain. And we thank you that you see all of that. But we thank you that as you look down upon our vulnerabilities and insecurities, upon our poverty and our neediness, that we can say, God, this, isn't, this, this doesn't reflect your will. That, that is not your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we long for greater health and wholeness. We long for greater safety and security. And that it's right for us to pray, not only for ourselves, but for our neighbors and for our country, uh, for this world to resist the ways of wickedness and the ways of evil and to cling to you and to trust that ultimately you lead us in what is good and right. You teach us how to love one another as real friends and brothers and sisters should do. And we thank you for the, the joy that we can already experience knowing that you have achieved the ultimate deliverance. We believe that heaven will be great and, and nothing will compare to all that we there enjoy, but we thank you that we don't have to wait to heaven to already sing about the deliverance that you offer for each and every one of us. And so we praise you and we bless you for your great love. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song this morning.